oh, when we're just singing about the greatness of Jesus Christ, when we're talking about us being on a path leading straight to destruction, straight running to hell, and, uh, and as we were running that race, he looked upon us and loved us. My mind just gets blown by that. Um, because I don't know about you guys, but I know my own messed up, jacked up, totally, totally faultless, or faultful, actually, not thoughtful, faultful life, and recognize that I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy, and yet he loves me, and he loves you. And the grace of God that is so free is so, so good. Um, This morning, we're going to be talking about a kingdom mind. Where is our heart? Where is our mind? What do we put value in? What do we put our weight into? You ever thought about that question? What do you put your weight into? What do you find your worth? Where do you find your value? What keeps your attention? Um... As we get ready to jump into God's work here in just a minute, I just want to start with a little history. Back in 1993, there was a little company called Thai Inc. And they started selling these little things back in 1993. And can anybody tell me what that is? Wow, y'all knew that. Beanie Babies. And it became a fad. It, I mean, it grew fast. This, this guy named Ty Warner, he started selling these Beanie Babies. And if you don't know, I think we all know. But he decided he wanted to have these stuffed animals that weren't full. So he put little beads in them, which about three quarters full, that was supposed to create a lifelike, you can move the arms around, supposed to be lifelike. And he, when he started this company, he decided he didn't want to start in the Walmart because he didn't think Walmart or these big box stores would necessarily push his item. And so what he did is he actually went to these small mom-and-pop toy shops thinking they'll be pushing these items because they're new and fresh. He put them inside gift shops at hospitals. And what happened, people started buying them. And he was making money. And things were going nice and smooth. And then about, about a year, year and a half into his company, um, one of the product lines that he was trying to sell, one of the Beanie Babies, the manufacturer in China had issues. And they were going to be really late on a shipment. And so he had to process in his mind, what am I going to do? I can't tell all these new stores that are selling my products that I'm having problems with my shipments. I know, I'm going to call the manufacturer company, tell them to break that mold, we're going to retire this first Beanie Baby. Word went out, it retired and all of a sudden, a Beanie Baby that was selling for $5.99 started selling for $15. People started building this craze into Beanie Babies. They started investing in them. This is Puffer, the penguin. They started investing into them. They're thinking, if I could spend $5.99 and then turn around and sell it on eBay for more money or sell it at markets for more money, I can make a quick investment. And that kept happening, and value of these grew and grew and grew to the point where some people were make, selling these for a couple hundred dollars. Let's be honest. Who in here 
has bought a beanie baby? Raise your hand. All right. But people started making, I can sell them for $100. They're going, going, going. Well, Ty Warner knew. He goes, wait a minute. When I retired one, the value drove up. I'm going to make a beanie baby bubble. So he started retiring more beanie babies. Every time he retired another beanie baby, the value went up. To the point where people were taking their children's college funds. No joke. People taking their children's college funds, investing in beanie babies, telling them someday they'll be worth so much, we'll pay for your college, and you'll have money afterwards. And everything was looking good. In fact, I read a story this past week about a family who had five children invested over $100,000 in Beanie Babies. They have a warehouse. Like they built a little barn for their Beanie Baby barns. They stored them. And to this day, they still have them. And why? Because in 1999, Ty Warner, uh, I'm going to try to make a boom one more time, and I'm going to try to retire a Beanie Baby. Unfortunately, in 1999, when he retired that Beanie Baby, he saw no drive up in the market value. By the early 2000s, Beanie Babies, even though the company had closed in 1999, the retaining value, most of them were selling for three for $10. Why? Someone put value in something that literally had no value. This past week, actually yesterday morning, at the Lydic Center, 52 cents. 52 cents. The thing that sold for $5.99 is now 52 cents. And we're going to talk a little bit this morning about where are we putting our value? Is it something that will hold value? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you guys are turning into Philippians chapter 3, it's page 952 in the little blue Bibles, if you use one of those. Um, But as you're turning there, I just want to give a little backdrop into the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Most scholars looked at he was probably in prison in Rome at the time, under house arrest. And the Church of Philippi, which is the book of Philippians was written to the Church of Philippi, was a church, is one of the first churches that Paul planted in Europe in around 49 AD. And so they had this relationship with Paul for a while, and they had this deep affection for Paul. They deeply loved him. And all of a sudden they heard and found news that he was now in prison, and it wasn't looking good for him. And so the church of Philippi thought, you know what, we need to help Paul. So they gathered some funds and some gifts, and they sent this man named Epaphroditus, which was one of the men, one of the leaders in the church, we're going to send you to take care of Paul, to help serve him and show him love. And so Epaphroditus went to Paul while he was in prison and helped maintain him, helped take care of him while he was under house arrest. And so Paul understood that this church in Philippi had this deep heart of worry for what was going on. They saw the persecution happening. They saw it spreading. They saw Paul being attacked. And they knew that he was on the verge of, he was either going to be released really soon or he was going to be put to death not too far down the road. And they had a heavy heart. And so out of love for them, Paul penned Philippians. 
out of concern for them. And so he wrote the book of Philippians, and then he sent it back with Epaphroditus to tell what was going on. Ironically, while he was in prison, he wrote this book. And the reason why I say ironically, because the book of Philippians is also called the book of joy. Over and over and over in the book, he talks about counting it joy. He talks about selling. Be joyful. Be joyous. In the middle of his persecution. And in chapter 1, he says, man, every time I think of you, I have great joy and I celebrate. I give thanks to God for you. At the end of chapter 1, he talks about, listen, be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of Christ. And then as you go into the last half of chapter 2, he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, two men that he finds holds dearly in his heart and says, these are great men of God. I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. I'm holding on to Timothy, but eventually I will send him to you. Eventually, I want to, I want to do that. Because I want to hear how you're doing. So I'm going to send him eventually. But for now, I'm just going to send Epaphroditus to love you, minister you, and really keep in your heart the joy that God has set before us. And that is what brings us to chapter 3. That's the backdrop. So let's look at chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you heard that joy part right there, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Let's keep reading. For it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who observe God by his spirit, who trust or who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's pause for a second before we keep reading. What Paul is saying is here is, listen, be joyful. But I'm going to tell you something I've told you over and over and over again. If a pastor's up here telling you over and over and over again, there's a reason why, because it's biblically sound. And Paul is telling him, listen, I've told this in the past. I'm going to say it again and again and again. Watch out for those dogs. When's the last time you called someone a dog? Not too often. Historically, when someone was called a dog here, it was usually Jews calling the Gentiles dogs, saying they're worthless. But not in this situation. We recognize that because Paul gives a little hint of who these dogs were. He said this, For they are mutilators of the flesh. But as we who are the circumcision, the true circumcision, what we understand here is they were people that were trying to live the religious life apart from Christ, looking apart, acting apart, and talking apart. Many people, many scholars look at them and go, oh, these are the Judaizers, the guys who try to hold Jesus in one hand and the law in the other hand. And here, he actually used a play on words. He said, they are the mutilators, mutilators of the flesh, while we are the true circumcision. And the reason why that is a play on words, because the word circumcision actually means mutilation of the flesh. But he's saying, they're the mutilators, we are the true circumcised. And why was he saying that? He goes, because they're looking apart, we are the part. You understand that? There is a difference between looking apart and being the part. And he's saying, so watch out for those mutilators of the flesh, those dogs. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boasted in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting a church, as for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. Right here, Paul is saying, listen up closely. In, in the scheme of everything, these people that are putting all their bank and all their weight into worthless things of the flesh, guess what? I have more reason to brag. For I, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've looked the part, I've talked the part, I've, I've been the part. I was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning my family heritage is ones that follow Jehovah. I'm a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I know my heritage. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regards to the law, I'm a Pharisee, meaning I'm very well educated. And as for righteousness, I'm faultless. And as for my zeal, there's none that are better than me because I persecuted the church. Now here's the thing. On this side of the book of Philippians and throughout different books, we look and go in. Persecuting the church was bad. But in the religious mind back then, the religious mind, the people of the church or the people of the way, they were wrong. And Paul was saying, if anybody else had more reason to brag, I had more reason to brag. In my flesh, I had all of this. And this morning, we're going to talk about just a couple things here. Number one, we're going to look at this. In Christ, we have a new confidence and a new value. See, Paul was saying here... These people are bragging. They're looking apart. They're acting apart. And if anybody had a reason to brag, it was me. Now, in this moment, Paul was not saying, look at me, I'm hooty tooty and I'm special. What he was saying here is, listen up. If the value and our confidence is supposed to be anything in our flesh, well then, I got more reason than them. They're a bunch of fools. They act apart. they, They might look apart, but they didn't look quite as good as me. And so they were putting their weight into something that was looking apart. How often do you put weight into something that looks apart? How much do we put weight in looking? How many of us really worry about what we look like when we show up on a Sunday morning? We stress out. We're running in the doors. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. People are going to look at us. How many of us worry about looking apart? And so sometimes even in our worship, we become more, I don't want people to look at me. And so we start worrying about what people think. You see here, these Judaizers, these dogs, they were trying to look good on the outside. And Paul was saying, listen, if there's anybody that should have confidence on the outside, it's me because I was faultless. But he doesn't stop there. Because this is where, if it stopped there, we'd be like, oh man, Paul's all boasting about himself. He's like saying, I'm really great. But this is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, whatever were on the plus side of my life, whatever things I counted good, whatever thing, if I had to, if I had to draw a line and say, this is the good about me and this is the bad about me, Whatever were gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. I consider them garbage 
that I may gain Christ found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What he's saying is here, everything I did that was quote-unquote good, every part, every title, every identity, everything that I held on to, I thought, man, I have to have this. He's saying it's garbage. It's garbage. It's like a beanie baby that's not worth 52 cents anymore. We could put our hope into it. We could put our weight into it. We could put our finances and our funds and our mentality into it. But eventually, if it's not in Christ, it's garbage. What are you putting your hope into, friends? What are you putting your hope into? What are you putting your identity wrapped up into? Are we banking on things that have no more value than this stupid little stuffed animal? Because I can tell you, 20 years ago, people were not thinking, this is going to be garbage someday. People were thinking, I'm banking on this being worth something. And I can tell you, my prayer and hope for you is that in your life, you say, Christ is everything. This is nothing. Even as that song we sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Is he your life? Or are you banking on things that have no value? Isaiah said this, even our good works is like filthy rags. It's not about us being good and get doing things right. It's about us resting right. Where's your weight? Where's your confidence? Where's your value? You see, in Christ, we have a new confidence. In Christ, we have a new value. And we take these things and realize that they have no value. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary who quoted this. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And in that, I want you to understand, it is not you give so you can earn to gain. It's understanding that in comparison to Christ, it's all garbage. Imagine if I had a whole bag of garbage sitting right here of recycling garbage. And Dean Raddick came up here and said, Pastor Nate, I will give you a billion dollars for that bag. No, I think someday this is going to be worth something. What kind of fool would I be? Right? When we understand the value of Christ, we recognize that everything pales in comparison. He is no fool who gives up, who says, what is this? This is nothing. To gain what he cannot lose. You see, in Christ we have a new confidence and we have a new value. But also in Christ we have a new view. Let's keep reading. Because this is what he said. I want to know Christ. Yeah. To know the power of his resurrection. The participation in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this. Or have already arrived at this goal. But I press on to take hold for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. You see here he is saying listen. 
my goal, my desire, my, my, my joy in the journey is the persecution that Christ sharing in that, that Christ took. It is the resurrection from the dead. You see, in life, we try to avoid that stuff. Have you guys ever noticed that? Persecution happens and we like, we shake in our boots and we're like, oh, Lord, take this away, take this away, take this away. And he's saying, listen, this is how I want to know Christ. I want to celebrate the power of his resurrection, participate in suffering. I want to become like him in his death and somehow attain the resurrection of the dead. That attain is not to earn, but that means to receive. And we understand this. This is a reality that Paul was wrestling through. Because remember, Paul was not sitting in his yacht out on the ocean, penning something going, Hello, there, lovey. I just want you to know that someday I want to participate in this. No, this is him sitting in prison, recognizing that just coming up, chances are he's going to be very badly beaten, bruised, and killed. And he's saying this, I want to know this. Ironically, remember, this is the book of joy. He's saying, this is exciting. Just like that text that says, count on all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials. This is the understanding that, man, we have a new view, a new understanding of what is good. We no longer embrace this. And we get to embrace Christ. We have this new view of who he is. And then, in that view, we get to keep on reading here. It says, so brothers and sisters, verse 13. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That is the resurrection from the dead. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if that got you a little excited. That gets me excited hearing that. Because he's saying this, listen, God, in his grace and his mercy, has put me in this race. I don't do the race to earn salvation. Jesus Christ paid the entry fee for me to be in the race. And as Christians, we get to be in the race. We get to run to the prize. We get to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes on the prize, and run the race knowing that he's already paid for it. Brothers and sisters, that's exciting. It would be like being, say, I'm going to put you in the Olympics without you doing any work. Like, you're going to be a triathlon runner in the Olympics or whatever. Me? No. I don't deserve that. I put no effort into it. Yeah, guess what? You get to. How awesome is that? So he's saying, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the finish of your faith. Keep your eyes forward and press on towards that goal. Here's the thing about running. So, I'm not a runner. You don't know. I used to run a little bit, but it's never been a hobby that I really loved. I don't know if any... Do runners love running? Do you love running, Nate? All right. Weird. (laughs) You're really not. Sorry. But here's the thing about running. As you're running, how good of a runner runs while he's looking backwards the whole time? The whole time. You can't do that. Because you stumble and you fall. You trip. 
You run into things that you don't even know what's ahead of you. When you're running, you got to keep your goal on the prize. When you're feeling like you're falling, you think the finish line, i got to get across the finish line. i just got to get there. Back when I used to run, I never ran for school or anything like that, but I used to try to run a couple miles a week. And I remember, man, it was like dying. And I would try running in the hills of Dixon, Illinois. And as I'm running, I just remember, I just got to run. I got to get back home. And so I would, I would actually, in my mind, create a distance I have to go to at least before I would run back, knowing eventually I have to get back home. So that's how I would run. But the goal was to get back home. It wasn't necessarily get the two-mile mark away from home. The goal was to get back. And when we keep the prize of our home in our mind, all of a sudden we can run with joy. And we don't have to stress it, but we don't look back. We don't look to the left. We don't look to the right. We keep our eyes on the prize. Guys, gals, how many of us are actually keeping our eyes on the prize that is set before us? What is distracting you? Maybe there's a beanie baby as a metaphor, a beanie baby that is really pulling you aside and you're trying to put value in that. And he's saying, no. Remember, who was he talking to? The church of Philippi. But he was addressing, remember, there are people, these dogs that are trying to distract you. And he's saying, don't lose sight of the prize. There's people that are distracting you. But let's keep reading. And then Paul says this, and all of us then, who are mature should take such a view of things. Meaning, if you are mature, if you are someone who says, I run after Christ, keep your perspective. Keep your eye on the prize. And if at some point you start thinking differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Keep your eye on the prize. Join together in following my example, my brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Why was Paul saying, keep your eye on us as an example? Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, there were people in the church who were trying to get them off track. We see that. Number two, I want us to remember, they didn't have the full New Testament text altogether. And so there was question of what is right and what is wrong. There was a lot of different heresy going on. Kind of like today, we have a lot of heresy going on today still, even though we have the New Testament. But there was a lot of stuff going on. And he's saying, so listen, I'm following Jesus. You follow me and you follow the men like me who are keeping on track. Ironically, just the chapter before, he gave an example of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are men who are leaders. He's saying, listen, follow us. Be imitators like us. Because there's a lot of people who are trying to pull you to the side. Who are, you're running. And they're like, Hey, Nathan, how you doing? And they try to slow you down and pull you off your race. Keep on track. Watch out for those who you follow. Who are you following? Both relationally, but also spiritually. You know, the greatest thing about living in today's culture is there's a lot of good biblical resources, right? Right? The downside to today's culture, there's a lot of bad biblical resources. And there's a lot of people out there that are really just trying to pull you a little bit left, pull you a little right. They might look apart, they might talk apart, but they're adding stuff to it. They're washing down the gospel. They're adding to the gospel. And they're, and they're trying to totally distract you. And he's saying, listen, in Christ, keep your view. 
Keep your perspective. Stay on track. Why? Because there's people who are distracting. And it's happening right now. In fact, he says this next. For as I have often told you before, I will now tell you again with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. When you look at that, you got to understand, why would Paul cry and weep over it? Because these are people that he recognizes. He's going, listen, they've lost their focus. They've lost their eye on the prize. And it just tears me up. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. When you look at that, their God is their stomach. It's not like they're actually worshiping their belly. But what he's saying is their God is their inner desires. Whatever turns in your belly. Like when your belly growls, you're hungry. Whatever fills that desire, that is their God. Their God is their stomach or their inner desires and their glory is the same. The crazy part is when we turn our eyes off the prize and we start worshiping and focusing on our inner desires, the very shame that was once shameful becomes the very normal thing that we actually celebrate. We see that in the churches across America. People are celebrating the very shame. But why is all that happening? Because their mind is in the world. Remember, when we are in Christ, man, God has offered us a new view of seeing this awesome prize. So keep your eye on the prize. Keep your mind off the distractions and the draws of the world. That is not saying we can't live in the world. That's not saying we don't have to deal with things. But what it's saying is this. Keep Jesus central in your heart and mind in everything you're doing. When you're working, keep Jesus central. When you're playing, keep Jesus central. When you're watching TV, keep Jesus central. You know, there's a thing people say, well, you don't want to become so heavenly minded that you become earthly uh, pointless or, or worthless. Hogwash! Amen. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We want it to be said that, man, we love Jesus. Let that be our drive because this is it. Guys, this is not who you are. Our mind is not supposed to be in the wrap of the world. In fact, this is what Paul says this. But our citizenship is in heaven. You see, we're not called to live citizenship looking at the world and embracing the world. I'm not saying we can't do it. I'm just saying we're not called to do that. God is saying, listen. Keep your eyes on the prize because your view is so much better than anything else. This view is so much better. Quit looking back. Keep your eyes on the prize. In Christ, we have a full new citizenship. And we eagerly await, it says this, await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is something that we get to be excited about. That we have a new identity in Christ. Our new home with Christ. And we're going to have a new body with Christ. That is so amazing. 
So how about you? Are you going to keep your eyes on the prize? Um, a few years ago, probably about 15 years ago or so, um, my older brother received a bunch of books, and in that books was a Bible. And he said, hey, Nate, you want this Bible? I'm like, yeah, I love Bibles. So he gave his Bible. It was a Schofield King James Version Bible and an old leather, an old Bible. And I, and, um, he goes, just, he got it because someone passed away. And so I opened the Bible when I first got it, and there was a phrase in it. So it's not my phrase. I don't have, I have no idea where this phrase came from. But the phrase was so mind blowing to me that I've written it in every single Bible I've owned since. And the phrase is this. Each day we live, we pitch our tents one day's journey closer to home. Each day we live, we pitch our tents one day's journey closer to home. That phrase is a kingdom mind. That phrase is saying, listen, this is not our home. We have a better place. That phrase just made me think, oh my word, I don't even know who this man was, but I can't wait to say hi to him in heaven after I spend a long time with Jesus. Because I'm going, that is so true. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we get to celebrate that. So brothers, sisters, will you live with that mind that each day we live, we pitch our tents one day's journey closer to home? That is our goal. That is our home. That is our destination. And it's a lot better than the cheap trinkets we can get through this world. Will you throw out the garbage and trinkets and say, God, I'm in the race with you. You paid for it. You enable it. I'm looking to you. Now, we could stop there. Okay, okay, this is great, right? But I think chapter 4, verse 1 really wraps up this text. So I just want to read this one verse. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. You see, the reason why I wanted to close with that and wrap with that is this. If we're not choosing to stand firm in Jesus Christ, if we're not choosing to lock our eyes on him, we will be distracted. We will lose sight. And I know this, it's easy to lose sight. It's easy to let the whims of this world pull us in different directions. It's easy to be on the race and be like, oh, that's so nice. And start looking other ways. We start putting good things, even, in our view over Christ. Whether it's our family, our relationships, things that we can't get rid of. I'm not saying we should say, well, I love Jesus, so you're, you're dead to me, family. I'm saying this. Jesus wants to be in our view in everything. Our families, our jobs, our leisures, everything. Let him be central theme and view in everything we do. See, there's a thought that we get up in the morning or we go home at night and we read our Bible for 10 minutes and that's our part with Jesus. And I can tell you, Jesus wants intimacy with you 
where it's a relationship, continual conversation. And letting him guide you each and every part of your day. Will you keep the view of Jesus? In just a couple of minutes, we're going to be taking communion. Where we talk about remembering what he's done. But remembering does not happen just once a month. Let's keep him in our view. Day in, day out, moment by moment. And let's run the race that is set before us. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And this morning, God, as we just come before you, where I recognize that there are times my, my own eyes get distracted. My own eyes look to the left or the right, or sometimes I even look back. Lord, I also I thank you that I don't have to live in that. That you paid the price for my sin, my arrogance, and my future by paying your payment of dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for offering that free gift to all who believe in you. This morning, let us turn our heart to you, turn our eyes to you, And Lord, we pray that this morning we will stand firm in who you are, keeping our eyes on the prize that's already been won on our behalf. We love you. In Jesus' name.